Welcome to the Evolving Advisor Podcast, dedicated to equipping independent financial advisors with the tips, insights, and knowledge to help you achieve success in business and life. Host Jeff Concepcion shares 30 years of experience as an advisor, entrepreneur, and CEO. Join Jeff and the industry's top thought leaders as they help you evolve from where you are today to where you want to be tomorrow. Now here's your host, Jeff Concepcion. Jeff Concepcion is solely an investment advisor representative of Stratus Wealth Partners and not affiliated with LPL Financial. The opinions voiced in this podcast are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which strategies or investments may be suitable for you, consult the appropriate qualified professional prior to making a decision. Catherine Forster Sneewin and High Note Wealth are not affiliated with or endorsed by LPL Financial. Hi, this is Jeff Concepcion, and welcome to the Evolving Advisor Podcast. I'm very pleased this morning to have Catherine Forrester Schneewin on the podcast with us. Catherine is the founder and CEO of her firm, High Note Wealth, and she brings 25 years of management experience to the business. She founded the firm with her brother, Michael, on the belief that clients should be treated like family, and that's been the premise of how they operate their business to date. She's a current board member of the Bird Group and Schneewin Family Foundation, Catherine earned her Bachelor of Arts degree in music therapy from the University of Minnesota, so she might be better equipped than most for our podcast karaoke. Uh, She's also a a chartered life underwriter and CHFC chartered financial consultant. She lives in Excelsior with her husband, Randy, and her son, Remington, who is a Chinese immersion student at Minnetonka Middle School West. She also has two stepdaughters and sons-in-law, who she adores, and we'll probably learn a little bit more about her family as we learn about her business. So, Catherine, thanks for being with us today. Thanks for having me, Jeff. Yeah, I'm pleased to have a conversation and learn a little bit about maybe how things started. Can you talk about what brought you into the industry initially? Yeah, you know, in summary, interestingly enough, there are times, I think, in our life where pins go down on our roadmap, and we don't even know they go down on our roadmap until you look back on it. And when I was 16 and my brother was 13, our parents went through a very devastating divorce. Our dad had been a very successful John Deere dealer. Our mother had been a very successful hospice nurse. But in most traditional families at that time, my mom essentially had nothing to do with finances. My dad managed it. And it just became a real difficult, challenging time. And I I was 16. And at that time, my mom became a little bit financially dependent on me at that time. And, you know, it really propelled me to think. And here's this, you know, woman in my life who's like a spiritual leader of our family, runs marathons, you know, physical activity and shepherds people from this life to the next. And she was, you know, broke and did not know what to do next financially. And so that is really the impetus and the true genesis for what launched me into the financial planning career, you know, many years later. I couldn't get rid of the thought that I wonder how many other people out there are naive about financial literacy and education and need help and need great resources. So such as any 16-year-old will do, they carry on with their life. I've been a singer since I was very young, and I moved on and got my college degree from the University of Minnesota in music. And then I sang professionally for five years. But after that, I decided to start digging into finances, and that's what happened. So I started going to the library, the Hennepin County Library, and researching every single thing I could find to empower myself, educate myself, help dig my mom out. 
And out of that was truly born the inspiration I can help others. And so I saw at that time there was a firm in Minneapolis that had about 150 men working for them and no women. And I thought, you know, I'm just going to walk right in the front door and ask for a shot at, at doing this career. And, and that was that will be 26 years ago in September. So it was great. Good story. <laughs> it's, it, you know, it's neat. I think people who are really effective at the business a lot of times have a personal connection, something that they experience that allow them to have empathy at a different level or a level of care or concern about clients' finances and well-being, sometimes even more than the clients have it because of a personal experience that you know they want to shield other people from or help guide other people through. So that makes that makes a lot of sense. Uh, how did that work, by the way, walking in the door 26 years ago? I'd love to, if you could recount that conversation a little bit. Oh, I sure can. I, I can, uh, you know, as I had my little you know, music degree tucked under my armpit and said, I want a shot at being a financial <laughs> advisor. And it was, you know, it, it took about seven, eight months and about at least 10 interviews. And they did a lot of psychological testing on me and so on and so forth. And, you know, what most people don't really know is music and math are tied in the same epicenter in the brain. So some of my closest frenemies, if you will, that run wealth management practices have PhDs in percussion, master's degree in saxophone, so on and so forth. And so most people don't know that that's kind of a natural fit. People often feel like, you know, it's a completely different category of a career, but it's, it's really not. And so, yeah, and they, they came to me and said, you know what? Our testing shows that you'd be quite good at this, but we're not sure if you will actually enjoy it and find satisfaction in it. And I said, well, give me a shot. Give me 12 months and let's see. Let's see if I what I can do. And yeah, that was ancient history. So I'm really glad they took a chance on me. So how did you start to build your business and market? I assume like all of us, right? I mean, well, I shouldn't say that. Nowadays, people are sort of coming in and joining existing practices. If you were starting on your own, what did that marketing look like? And I'm curious, how did it sort of evolve as you began to have a foundation of a business? You know, I think this is where, you know, there are times in our career that I think it's so important that we pay attention to our gut instinct and not blow through a check engine light that's going off. And at that time, it was interesting because, of course, they trained me in and did a great job of it. And there was red letter language to use to approach, you know, five people to get five referrals, to get 25 referrals, to go to those 25 referrals, to get five more referrals. There was a process and a plan in red letter language. And, you know, if, if the wheel isn't broke, don't fix it. And they really wanted you to adhere to those, that script essentially. But I did modify it quite a bit. And the reason is because my gut instinct was telling me, you know, who am I going to fool? I have a music degree. I've been a professional singer for a while. Like, I don't want to be inauthentic. It's so important for me to be authentic. And so I did feel extreme passion towards educating people, empowering them. That is what I wanted to do. I felt called to do. So I shared that with them. But in addition to that, I also shared like, hey, you know, I'm brand new at this. I've been in the business six months or whatever. And I have chosen to align myself with some very wise strategic partners that have been in this business a decade or two decades or longer that are world-class world, you know, money managers and financial planners that I'd love the opportunity to introduce myself, you know, or introduce them to you with myself and see if jointly we could help you add more value to your current financial situation. And, and I, so I just, I outed myself essentially and just said, Hey, we both know I'm new at this, but I am passionate about it. 
I really do believe this can be what I want to do long-term is to really add value to people's lives financially in the way that my mother couldn't, let's say. And I'm also aware enough that I don't have the experience necessary to do that. And there's only one way to get started, and that is to do some joint work. So that's really how I built my career the first five years. And was there any similarity or did any similarity or common uh, commonalities develop relative to clients? Were they sort of all over the place? Were there little niches that you slowly were working towards developing? What did that look yeah. like? Yeah, it was it was anyone who could fog a mirror, right? Yeah. At that point. Was- Very familiar. By the way, I had a few clients that were barely fogging a mirror and I still was thrilled to have them in the early days. So <laughs> that's exactly it, Jeff. You understand completely. You know, I knew about five people I could call. I, I, I was a transplant. I'm from a teeny tiny town in the middle of nowhere in South Dakota. And I went to the big city of Minneapolis and, you know, went to college. So I didn't really know a lot of people. So I had to call those five people, sit down with them, authentically tell them how thrilled I was to have this opportunity and why I felt it would be a good fit and why I was confident I could add value with the right team and get five referrals from each one of those. And just like I said before, that's how it expanded. So if you fast forward a decade, were there firm changes or were you able to stay at the same firm that you started at was my first question. And the second question is, did you develop some type of a specialty over time as you did that, whether it was the type of clients you were working with or a particular knowledge of estate planning or qualified plans or business owners? So two questions. Yeah. So I would say for sure. The answer to that question is I stayed with the same firm for 23 years and went into the independent RIA space just about three years ago now. But I stayed at the same firm for 23 years because it was a great firm and I was very happy. But I did go against the grain right away in 1996. I told them I want to be an investment specialist. And the firm was very focused on the life insurance, disability insurance side of the business at that time. And wealth management was new really to that firm at that time. And if I recall this correctly, there was really one person out of about 150 working there that was doing investments. And I was just fascinated and intrigued by the stock market. I absolutely wanted to do that. And so I kind of went against the grain, even against the better coaching and judgment I had. And I said, well, hey, I'll make you a deal. I'll, I'll work to help add value to the defensive side of people's portfolio with their insurance products, eight to five, Monday through Friday. But then I'm going to do, I'm going to become an investment guru in the evenings and weekends. And that's what I did. And that was what I ended up being known for inside of the firm was the investment leader inside of the firm after, you know, a few years and loved it. And I'm still passionate about that side of the business. With that being said, you know, you really can't win a holistic financial planning game without playing defense and offense. And so I I still believe holistically in auditing and protecting the defensive side of a client as well. So that experience really got me to where I am today. And that all makes sense. So talk about what it looked like to exit the environment that you're in and go into the RIA space. I wonder if there was some, just from the way you described things, some complexity because there could have been a lot of joint work relationships. So how difficult was it to unwind and what sort of led you to whatever platform that you ultimately ended up on? How did you sort of rank and determine where you ultimately wanted to bring your practice independently? Yeah, I think, again, lots of, spent a lot of time on that, a lot of soul searching on that. It was very much so a challenge to leave. I felt very much so I wanted to increase enterprise value of my firm for the long haul. 
I also felt that I had sadly outgrown the firm I was with and that based on my education, expertise, and the world-class team that I had built, that we should be allowed to do more complex things for our high net worth clients. And as that was expanding, it wasn't as much a model of that firm. Um, I set a very meaningful intention when I chose to exit the firm. And I want to be really clear about this because I still care and love that firm and feel very much so it was a great firm. But there's just a lack of transparency when you go to make a move from one firm to another firm or to the independent space. And that really bothered me. I lost a lot of sleep over that, but I set the intention that I was going to exit peacefully, confidently, and turn toward them. And so I I was in a position where two years before I left, I did share with them that there were seven specific things that needed to get changed in the next two years. And I would turn toward them. I would help them. I'd volunteer my time. I'd do whatever I could to get these things in place. But if we couldn't get there, then I was going to have to make a different decision than I did. And so I did part peacefully. It was extremely painful, but it was the right thing to do. And then I just strategically and carefully and collaboratively unwound all of the joint work relationships and helped all of our clients decide what was the best fit for them. And I'm, and I'm proud of the way that that was, even though it was never easy, it wasn't easy. And then, yeah, so I would say, you know, it was just time. It was my time. It's just that simple. It was written that I was meant to be independent, that we had grown to a place where I needed less red tape and we had really, we were qualified to do some of the things we were asking to do, but because the firm was so large, they, you know, couldn't allow everyone to do those things. So it was just time. So I'm really happy I made the move to independence and it, it's been the, by far the best move for high note well for our clients. And that's what matters. And so talk about how the business is constituted today. What does it look like relative to him, you know, the employees and structure and services you're providing and maybe the platform that you're using to do that? Sure. We, you know, we use Dynasty Financial Partners is who we partner with as our consulting group. They've been phenomenal at helping us stand up on our own and also now helping us grow and consider things like mergers and acquisitions and extreme growth strategies, talent acquisition, and these kinds of things. And so we ended up hiring them as an outside consultant. That was a great decision because we knew we wanted to stay extremely focused on our clients and the growth of our company. We have 200 high net worth clients, 200 households. We have seven full-time staff members, three CFPs. And that's kind of the makeup of our firm today. We love working with very successful women. We work with a lot of different groups, but that is our niche. That is our specialty. That's where I get a lot of energy and give a lot of energy um, is to women who are very successful. Maybe they're going through a transition, but maybe they're not. And that's kind of what the firm looks like today. And we're, we're kind of back to growth mode right now again, too. So it's, it's getting even more fun and interesting. <laughs> no, that sounds fantastic. So from a tech suite, are there certain tools that you rely on to deliver, whether it's on the planning side, the trading side, the CRM side? Maybe talk a little bit about the tech suite and what your experience has been there. Oh, geez. Well, you know what? I hate to tell you this, Jeff, but you're asking the wrong person. You'd have to interview my brother on that one because 
as the CEO of the firm, I actually do not make any of the technology decisions. I make all the vision decisions, financial decisions, and lead the company and its growth initiative, and then see our best clients. But I can tell you that through Black Diamond, E-Money, Schwab, we've had a lot of success. We're actually working on another platform right now that we're considering using, but we've found the technology side of things in the RIA space to be much more user-friendly, much more efficient. And I think that's really important because as you continue to network and grow into the higher net worth space, the demand for more advice and sophistication is there. And you need to be even more efficient with your, let's say, trading, customer service, running plans, running estate plans, charitable remainder trusts, <laughs> so on and so forth. Some of the premium financing cases that we do, you just have to be more efficient and you need more sophisticated tools to do it. And when you're in an independent space, you can have any of those tools at your fingertips. Yeah, I guess that's that's the advantage of open architecture probably, right? That there's, there's just the, the universe opens up a little bit and whether it's technology or product or vendors, there's should be really almost no limit to what you can access to benefit the clients. Well, that's so. right. So it does take, you know, a village to figure that out because that's the double-edged sword. Being independent is, okay, you're independent. You can do anything, use anything, but what's the right thing, you know, for your clients and your target market and where your target market's going to be in three or five years from now. And so, and so it takes a little bit more time and heavy lifting to figure that out, but so worth it. So worth it. So are there certain ways that you communicate? Obviously, referrals, I suspect, has been and continues to be an important way that you grow your business. But are there other ways that you market either through workshops or networking or organizations that have helped you to expose yourself and your team to, to more clients in your target market? Uh, no, Jeff, no, we haven't. I mean, I'm almost embarrassed to say, no, we don't do anything. We don't do anything like that. Every single referral, every single one that's come to High Note Wealth and to me has been exclusively organically through word of mouth from an existing client. So no, we've looked at doing a couple of M&A deals, haven't gotten there yet. Not positive. That's the right fit for High Note Wealth, but I'll never say never and I'll always stay extremely open-minded, but it's been 100% pure organic growth for us. And we're very fortunate to be able to say that and do that and attract those types of clients. And can you talk about the service model, kind of what that looks like in terms of the services that you provide and whether or not there's a specific referral process that helps to continue the flow of referrals that you receive from clients? Yeah, I think it's when we really, you know, and it starts with this and then I'll directly answer the question. I think it, it was when my brother, Michael, and I really decided we just did not want to be all things to all people. When we got clarity that we did not want to be a high volume shop, that we wanted to be the best, the absolute best we possibly could be to each client we served. And when we decided to really slow down a few years ago and add one or two clients a year, that would probably be the right fit for us. We probably have more of a family office approach where we do just about everything for the client. So the value add is, you know, we can do the investment management blindfolded with our hands tied behind our back, but the, the value add is all the time we spend with the other advisors and the family's team, their CPAs, their family CFOs, their attorneys, doing the planning, the estate planning, the complex legacy planning, auditing, 
all of their plans defensive offensively. My brother worked with me in 1997 and 98 in the investment space at the firm. And then we bifurcated at that time. And he went out and ran a real estate consulting firm for 10 years because we quickly saw, even in the late 90s, that a lot of our clients were going to probably have 80% of their net worth tied up in their business interests and or real estate. And, you know, I kept thinking, well, if we're that other 20% for these clients, how in the world are we going to really move the needle for them or change the trajectory? Because they could make one really poor business decision or one really poor real estate decision that could take down the whole house of cards. So we need to be experts at giving advice on business growth and development, profitability, you know, variance reporting and real estate as well. And so then Michael and I repartnered about 14 years ago or so, and we've been able to do that. So that is what we provide our clients is truly, we are the first call for them um, regarding, you know, if they're going to invest more in their business, they're buying another piece of real estate or selling it, what to do. And we collaborate with the team, we're the quarterbacks, but that was the relationship we wanted. We wanted the whole relationship, not just part of it. Um, and, and so that's kind of the business we've designed. So how does that affect you in, in that CEO role from a service standpoint? Are you in direct contact often with the clients or have you built sort of pods of relationship management that allow you to be involved, but not on a daily basis? Because as you look to grow a firm, right, there's always ceilings of complexity and capacity issues and limitations. So I'm curious, how do you sort of define your role and how do you spend your time as it relates to vision? growing the firm and client contact oversight of some of your team members? How does that all look? Yeah. So that's just really changed in the last three years since I became independent because it was really just Michael, my brother, and I seeing the clients. And then now we've had added a very experienced uh, 20-year veteran CFP who is so amazing. <laughs> she, is, she is truly the essence of me and I'm very excited and we've added her to the mix and now she's seen about a hundred of the clients. And now we've been able to take that down to about a hundred of the clients that my brother and I are servicing. And that's given me that 50% of my capacity back to do really cool things like Dynasty Financial Partners sent me to Boston, MIT, to get my CEO certificate. And so I was able to add that educational experience into the you know, practice for the last year, which has taught me a lot about growing the company. And becoming more the director of client services versus more of the hands-on day-to-day. And so I'm able to kind of cast that vision and get back into growth mode now that we've recovered, if you will, from making the move to independence, which is a heavy lift and can kind of get there. So I'm just starting to scratch the surface of that a little bit more, but I enjoy it. I love it. And always growing, always learning. And that makes it fun. So I think, again, I don't know, you know, we'll, we'll have to keep looking at what we want the business to be and monitoring that. Constantly, I think the thing for me is being a female and having a lot of other interests and a lot of other areas of my life that are important is, you know, balancing that out with my whole life and how does that fit into my whole life? And I like to start there usually versus just here's how the business is going to look and then everything else comes after that. So, yeah, so we'll see, but I'm loving the CEO role and I'm loving the vision role and the oversight and I'll continue to find the right teammates. Yeah, I think it's almost rejuvenating in the business, right? Because when you're sort of mired in all the detail, which you need to be for obviously a number of years to build a business and to create the scale, when you make that transition, and this is what we talk about in the podcast a lot, it's what we talk about with all the partners in our firm, 
is that notion of evolving from an advisor to a CEO. And it's related because you're in the same industry, but it's really different in terms of how you think and how you allocate your time and the impact you can have working on the business versus in the business. I I think a lot of people get rejuvenated because it's a whole different lens on the career and kind of where you're at and where you'd like to see your firm go in the future. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you don't realize sometimes that after you have done the same thing for 25 years, you know, it's time to get refreshed or get out probably one or the other. And my decision at this time is to get refreshed. And I'm feeling that way. I'm feeling like it's time to go into growth mode again and continue to find the right people to partner with that I feel will continue to best serve our clients. And then I can just love on them more and I can just spend more time with them and get the right uh, referrals and go from there. So I agree with you, Jeff, completely. Yeah, that's a good segue maybe to a final question. As you kind of look at the future of your shop and your team, uh, where would you like to see things a few years down the road from now as you guys are growing and evolving? What does it look like at the enterprise level? Is there anything that changes at the client experience level in terms of resources or tools you'd like to bring to bear? So I guess maybe a fast forward look, you know, three or four years down, what might things look like if things move as as planned? Yeah, I think they will. I'm really confident of that just because we've had a pretty consistent trajectory for these 26 years where I don't really know if there's ever been a time where I haven't kind of decided to take the business a certain direction. And we've ended up there ultimately just because I believe so much about being intentional. And if you really do the right thing and always, always put the clients and their needs and what, what makes them the happiest, the most peaceful, the most content first, I think the rest follows. And so I think it's continuing to work towards that family office model. It's really that for us. I think we have educated ourselves so much and continued to find the right partners that it's time for us to really work in that exclusively, probably in that ultra high net worth space. I would love, my favorite thing to do is to really work with people and their charitable interests and the giving part of their portfolios. That's where I really believe we can help the community, help the world. I get a lot of energy helping clients that are in fruitful situations like that, where they want to give back. And so I think that's kind of the direction we'll continue to head. And I think good things are going to happen for us in the next few years. We'll see. It sounds like they already have, and they'll continue to. Any any final thoughts or advice? Obviously, the business is doing really well and thriving as you've moved independent. And any final thoughts or advice you'd like to give for folks, our peers and counterparts who are looking to execute best practices and grow their own businesses? Yeah, I think, you know, always, you know, I say to my 14 year old son, you know, show me who your friends are and I'll show you who I, you know, or I'll show you who you are. And that's what I would say in business as well. You know, show me who you're spending your time with and who you're learning from and I'll show you who you are. And I think that's been the one and only thing that I can give myself credit for in all of these years of business is that. I am constantly trying to connect with the right people that I can learn from. And that doesn't necessarily mean in this industry either. It could be be all my sisters at Women's Presidents Organization International or whatever that are all CEOs, very successful companies, and we have common threads. You know, it's but it's continuing to put yourself in front of great people who do great things and are collaborative and transparent in their spirit. I think that's it. I think it's just, 
Um, if you do that right, or if you're having a bad day in the business, folks, because let's face it, that happens to all of us. It's being able to throw that buoy out there and saying, I need a little help, you know, and then giving that back 100%. I wrote a mission statement in 1996 and I said, you know, it's my mission to live my life like a breath, to take it all in and to give it all back. And I still stand by that. Where that came from, I'm not quite sure, but I, I think it's really important for the success of your career to connect, collaborate, get help when you need it, grow where you can, and then give it back. So I hope that helps somebody out there. Yeah, I, I think it does. I think the key is you surround yourself both personally and professionally quality people, and it's going to elevate you to be the best version of yourself. So I think about people I know personally and professionally that I've seen who don't put themselves in a good environment around good people. And unfortunately, there's a, an impact to that as well. So I think, it's, I think it's really good advice. So I know that you've got some musical training as we move towards our close here in podcast karaoke, and you're being a good sport and embracing. So I think you mentioned possibly Pat Benatar, but tell us what you're going to sing and if there's any significance to the song. No, I just, I had a really severe case of COVID in May, despite being triple vaxxed. Uh, I do not have half of my voice back. I'm still very growly. Uh, sound like I smoke a couple packs a day still. Um, so anyway, despite being able to sing French, German, and Italian arias or a country that I sang professionally for a long time, I'm, I'd have to growl it out. I sang in an 80s rock band, cover band for about 15 years. And so I guess <laughs> I got to head down to like Pat Benatar, Joan Jett, somewhere in that range, which kills me, but it'll be fun. That's perfect. Perfect. You're a real tough cookie with a long history of breaking little hearts like you wanted me. That's okay to see how you do it. Pull up the suits, let's get down to it. Hit me with your best shot. Why don't you hit me with your best shot? Hit me with your best shot. Fire away. Come on, you don't but care. That's okay. See if I care. Knock me down, fall in rain. I'll get right back on my feet again. Hit me with your best shot. Why don't you hit me with your best shot? Hit me with your best shot. Fire away. Thanks for listening to The Evolving Advisor. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe and share it with your colleagues. And if you would like to talk about succession planning or practice acquisitions, please drop us a line. We would love to help you in any way we can. Advisors associated with Stratus Wealth Partners may be either one, registered representatives with and securities offered through LPL Financial, member FINRA SIPC, and investment advisor representatives of Stratus Wealth Partners, or two, solely investment advisor representatives of Stratus Wealth Partners and not affiliated with LPL Financial. Investment advice offered through Stratus Wealth Partners, a registered investment advisor and separate entity from LPL Financial.